This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and on the other side of the glass is Mr. Matt Caraccio. Matt, welcome back. Always great to have you on the other side. Paul, it's it's amazing. I mean, another year, another senior bowl in the books. I, I'm just excited to get this started. I mean, it seems like we're inching ever so slightly closer and closer and closer to that magical day that we call draft day when we finally get to see what an entire off season's worth of analysis, scouting, film evaluation, and thoughts kind of materialize on the on the big stage and where these guys are gonna finally, you know, call their really the next couple of years of their career home. So, I mean, I, this is just the beginning of really what typifies the draft season. So, I, I can't wait to get into it. Yeah, and usually, usually, the Senior Bowl, which obviously always follows the Shrine Bowl, is usually the kickoff of draft season. But this year is going to be unlike any other, you know, because there's not going to be a combine. And who knows how many pro days there are going to be. And honestly, who knows how many players, even if there are pro days, are going to be willing to put themselves out there and and do drills because they might say, well, why am I going to put myself out there if so many other players aren't going to put themselves out there? You know what I mean? It's almost like, you know, it almost is one of those things that you could end up hurting yourself more than helping yourself, right? Because sometimes the perceived value is is higher and better than what actually ends up happening. Now, pro days, usually the, the, the timing goes in your way. So that's another thing that maybe some people will be willing to do it. But I don't know if the NFL is going to try to have some type of uniformity. I don't know if the league is going to, you know, have try to send somebody there or have, you know, some some type of, you know, you know, not just a traditional stopwatch, if they're going to try to get laser times. I don't know exactly what they're going to have. I think it's going to be a really interesting. So I think the Senior Bowl, the week down there, probably is, is without a doubt going to be some of the most important time that these prospects who were there had with the teams. It might be their only time that they had face-to-face interaction with the teams to really, like, see them on the football field rather than just, you know, a pro day, you know, and stuff like that. So I think this senior bowl probably took on more importance than just about any senior bowl ever. There was a lot of intriguing prospects down there last week on the episode, you know, John lab was on here as, as you know, filling in for you. And, and we previewed the the senior bowl and talked about a lot of different prospects. And, you know, the, you know, I've, I've, I've watched, all the coverage of the practices that were on TV. I watched the game. I have access to some of uh, the other practice film that I haven't had a chance to dig in and, and, and watch uh, completely yet, but I've watched some of it. So a lot to talk about from last week in Mobile uh, to kind of recap it, recap and kind of go from there. So let's get right into it. And and I'm going to start, uh, Matt, and I don't think there's a lot to talk about here, but I'm going to start the quarterback position. The clear, you know, winner of the week, I would say, uh, was Mac Jones. And that's all a fan the, favorite, right? That's our yeah. fan favorite. Well, I mean, I mean all the yeah. reports, all the reports down there was, you know, that guy that if you were in attendance, things that you could see taking control of, 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 you know, the huddle, you know, uh, listening and taking to coaching. Well, things that are, are kind of impossible to see on the TV, you know, side of things, which, which you expected Mac Jones, right? 
so I, I caution not to double count that stuff in this evaluation because everything that we had heard and read about Mac Jones was great leader, great teammate, you know, student of the game, good decision maker, you know, so like physically what I saw was about the same as, as what I saw in terms of what I expected from him. I still think the, the hype is a little bit too much for me. I still think he's more of a day two guy, but I think he's going round one. I, I, you know, you hear, you listen to the, you listen to last week and you would think he's in the conversation to go top 15. Like to me, he still has some question marks in terms of how he wins translating to the problems that he's going to face at the NFL level. And he just didn't get faced with a lot of those problems at Alabama. He had pristine set up there. And I, I think he's a good prospect. I think he could probably develop into an average starting quarterback. I've compared him to Mason Rudolph coming out of college. And I said, he can become like an Andy Dalton type player. I still think that's the case. I just would be very hesitant in the way the NFL is played now and what you need your quarterback to do to invest in a first round pick. But he seems like he's the winner of the one of the winners of the week. And I am sure he really won over a couple teams. So I think he was probably the biggest winner of the week. I think the guy that came in with the most question marks and was Jamie Newman, who never got a chance to play at Georgia after transferring there from Wake Forest. All the reports and from what I watched on the practice from the first uh, from the first day was and and what I read was that he really looked good in terms of that first day of practice and then a lot of consistency issues kind of showed up on days two and three and and that was you know the one that those were televised so it was easier to see though that uh, with my own eyes and I, I think that's I think that's the thing with Newman. He's he play, he's more comfortable playing out of the pocket, off structure, whatever you want to call it, making plays with his legs and his his arm when he's moving around. He's got to still learn to play from inside the pocket. He that he's he's still got a lot of development there to do. So maybe he sneaks into day two. Maybe he falls to day three. I'm still intrigued by the skill set. He's got the arm talent. He can make every NFL throw. He can, he can put the ball in there in, in tight windows. He can make plays with his legs. He can be a red zone, you know, runner in the, in the light of like a Josh Allen or a Cam Newton, but he's got a lot of growth and development to do. And the year off, I think probably hurt him. Then I thought if he played this year with George, I think it could have really helped him. Any thoughts on, on Newman or Mac Jones there? I mean, they really were the stories of the week. No, I, well, I think I agree with you across the board with a lot of your takes. So, I mean, I don't really have too much to add other than to say that, you know, Mac Jones and specifically Mac Jones is definitely going to be a player that I think, you know, it comes down to, you know, what's a backup quarterback worth? I mean, if we think that a bona fide, legitimate backup quarterback is worth, you know, a, a second round pick potentially in the, you know, in the NFL draft, just, just by virtue of the fact that, you know, what they may garner on the free market and what they cost and, and, and all the constraints that go into roster building. If we think a second round pick for a backup quarterback or potential, you know, uh, backup or starter is a second round pick. Well, then, uh, then Mac Jones at the very least, I think is probably a first round pick because I think that I think he's a guy who people see as a potential starter. I understand where they're enthralled with his, you know, ability to throw the football and I, and I get that. Um, I, I think the point is well taken about the situation. I think I think similar points and arguments could have could have been made for Tua. I just think that the 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 thing though that really stands out with me about Mac Jones is is that when I watch his game, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said 
the range of problems he was asked to solve and that he was exposed to at Alabama just doesn't really translate to the NFL that well. And and for that reason, you know, I I, I I'm a reluctant supporter. Um, I'm somebody who's going to say to you that he's definitely worth a pick. Um, whether or not you take him in the first or second round, um, that's entirely up to you and your franchise. So I, you know, I wish him the best. I, I'm just not sure that for me, I, I think that he belongs in the conversation as a late first, second round pick. That's where I think he belongs. As far as Jamie Newman goes, I, I think you hit, you were a hundred percent right. I think he really suffered from the time off. And I think his game desperately needed more fine tuning, more time to grow. And I think that he really suffered from that break and from that time off. So um, overall, I think this, this particular senior bowl and the quarterbacks that were there, I think the guys that we wanted to see, we had a chance to see. And now I'm just kind of looking at, you know, where do we go from here in terms of the other positional players? So Paul, just out of curiosity, if we kind of move on maybe to the wide receivers. Wait, and- one, one second, Matt, before, yeah. before we move on, I, I just want to make note of, of, uh, of two other guys super quick. One was Kellen Mond during the game. I think Kellen Mond during the actual senior bowl game was basically a symbol of his entire collegiate career because the first half Kellen Mond really struggled ball placement and accuracy, two things that he has struggled with his entire time in college. Second half, you saw Kellen Mond make some good plays. You saw him make throws that you watch him in the second half. You think this is a day two quarterback prospect with upside. You watch him in the first half. He looks like a late day three guy. And I think that's been what's so confounding about Kellen Mond is he, he's got the physical traits. He's got the size. He's got the frame. He's got the athleticism. He's got the mobility. He's, he's got really good you know, ability to, to throw on the move and to make plays on the move when, when he's under pressure. But the, Every single snap to snap consistency has always been the one thing that has hurt him. And I think we saw it again in the game itself, uh, there, that inconsistency up and down, which is why I think he's just a developmental pick somewhere on day three. And a team hopes that they could kind of harness that and see what happens in the long run. And then one other guy, Sam Ellinger out of Texas, listen, I like Sam Ellinger. Apparently, on one of the broadcasts, I think I missed this. Maybe you know, uh, didn't hear it on one of the broadcasts. But I think it was former Jets GM Mike Tannenbaum said that he thinks Sam Ellinger's a third round pick. I I'm going to push back on that a little bit. I like Sam Ellinger. I think that his leadership, his size, his frame is good. His winning mentality. We've we've on here said he's very Tim Tebow esque. Uh, he can make plays with his legs. He's physical, play strength, competitive toughness, all of that. His lack of consistency, passing, reading defenses, going through progressions. Uh, while he's got the size and frame, he it doesn't. It's not attached to like this rifle arm where he can you know push the ball vertically down the field with consistency and accuracy. Uh, put it in the tight windows. That's not him. So I I think he's a guy who should get drafted. I think third round sounds a little rich. I hadn't heard that from anywhere. And you know, my ears are always on the ground listening to everything, you know, in preparation for the draft projections notebook. So it it was something that just kind of piqued my interest when I heard Mike Tannenbaum say that. Obviously, God, it has some NFL connections. Haven't heard it anywhere else. I have a hard time seeing Sam Ellinger as a third round pick because like you said, that's fine if you think he could be a high level backup. 
I'm not sold that he could definitively be a high end backup yet. I think he can get there. I think you would, I think an NFL team would want to see a little bit more polish or a little bit more natural upside to, to invest in a day two pick than, than what Ellinger shows right now. So I, I thought he was another guy who I, I thought at least I wanted to mention him in recapping it. There wasn't much else. Kyle Trask didn't show up. I don't know exactly the reason. Obviously, it was injury related. I think he should have shown up though. That would have been good. Felipe Franks, you know, he I, I think he's a late day three, most likely priority free agent. Ian Book, I've compared him to Colt McCoy. Uh, I think he could be a backup style quarterback uh, who can develop into a, a decent backup quarterback. Uh, but he he lacks the physical traits to I think ever develop into a starter. So sorry about that. I just wanted to get a couple thoughts out there on Mond and Ellinger. Uh, any anything on those, or if not, why don't we transi- uh, transition this like you are right to the wide receivers? No, I mean, I, I think you captured it nicely. I do think um, Sam Ellinger is a player that I, I still maintain um, is is a is a good, fun prospect to build to you know to to kind of develop and see what can happen. Um, I do agree with you. I think third round is going to be a little too rich for him, but I, I I'm I'm excited to see where he lands. I think there are going to be teams that will covet his skill set for what it is, you know? Um, but no, moving on to the wide receivers, I think the wide receivers, you know, they're, they were, I mean, just all over the place, right? I mean, honestly, I think after the Senior Bowl, watching all the film, it, it, it is it is the reason why, and I think fair to say that this class, once again, incredibly deep, incredibly deep at the position. There's just so many players you know, out there in the wide receiver position and, and rightfully so. I mean, you look at the, you look at the way in which football has developed over the last five to seven years as it's grown more and more finally into a spread passing game, you know, at the highest of levels that, you know, we're developing wide receivers in bunches. And I, I don't think that the senior bowl was devout of talent in any way. I think obviously when we talk about, you know, the headliners across the board, you talk about Des Fitzpatrick out of Louisville, who won the offensive player of the week, if I'm not correct. I think that's correct. Um, he won the offensive player of the week. Um, he had a phenomenal game in the senior bowl itself and he was just turned heads left and right. Tylen Wallace out of Oklahoma state, right? Um, he just looked great, um, this season. Uh, you know, Dwayne Eskridge, obviously he's the one out of, you know, Western Michigan that people are just absolutely, you know, goo goo over. And then shy Smith, right. As well out of, um, uh, Shai Smith just looked fantastic as well. South Amari Carolina. Rogers, South Carolina, excuse me. Amari Rogers and Cornell Powell out of Clemson. Honestly, uh, these were the guys that stood out to me. I, I came away from all the film that I watched really intri- intrigued by the following. Des Fitzpatrick has been a player that really, honestly, you and I have been talking about since his redshirt sophomore year, which is his first year actually playing. Um, because the first time he was on, I think he was – redshirted his first year, then his redshirt sophomore year was his first year. Um, Des Fitzpatrick is a phenomenal player. Now, where does he live? He lives in that big slot role. That's where I think he's going to best fit at the NFL level. Um, But he has that versatility to go inside or outside. And when you look at him as a player, I think that the thing that people tend to not, I I, want to say appreciate about him, is how skillful he is as a route runner. He's an extremely skillful route runner. He's extremely sensitive to a variety of informational sources that help him kind of destabilize and take advantage of defenders. He has not only a good idea of what the defender in front of him is doing, but he can also couple that along with 
the other periphery defenders, meaning in zone coverage, what the linebackers are doing or what the safeties are doing. But in addition to that, he has a good understanding of the complementary routes in the route package that he's actually a part of. He has a good idea of working that to his advantage. He knows how to make all those little types of informational resources. He knows how to exploit them. He knows how to take advantage of them. And I think that is what makes him a potential very good pro. And now let's be real here. I I, I love Des Fitzpatrick. I'm not trying to tell you that he's Larry Fitzgerald. Okay, he's not. Even though, even though there are elements of his game that remind me of that. But he's not Larry Fitzgerald, okay? But do I think that he's a team, a player that's going to make a team better? Do I think he can be amongst the top three of a particular team in terms of wide receiver? Yeah, I think he can. I think a team is really going to like him. And I think that this was a showcase for him. And I yeah. think it's going oh. to be an opportunity. Yep, no, no, no. So I, 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 I just had to get that out because Dez is... I, I call him Des because I feel like we've been we've all been pals with him at this point at this point since we've been talking about him for so long. I think Des is going to bring a team a great return as a player, and I think he helped himself immensely at the Senior Bowl. And I have nothing but accolades for him. I think he's a very solid to good wide receiver, and that's saying a lot in this class. Yeah, and I think that's Fitzpatrick is the kind of guy that, listen, we don't get to see every single rep in the practice tape, you know, that of, of the TV coverage one. But I feel like Des Fitzpatrick is not the guy who may stand out the most in practice reps. But I feel like you you put him in the game on 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 Saturday. He was the best receiver in the game in terms of making plays during that football game. And I feel like people don't realize how good he was a couple years ago you know like i don't think like we do this because we we try to catch these guys from 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 early in their career you know for you know to to really see the progression and the growth and development but a lot of people really only watch guys you know when they you know think they're going to come out and and you know or after they announce that they're coming out or when they're seniors or whatever the case may be people i i guarantee you there's a lot of people who have no idea that Des Fitzpatrick played football with Lamar Jackson at Louisville. And re- and and that's his best film. Like you want to go back and see Des, Fat- Des Fitzpatrick's best college film? I think it's all the way back with Lamar. And he's he's overcome a lot of inconsistent quarterback play, to put it nicely, at Louisville. And he's produced, there's been some ups, there's been some downs. But we we stayed pretty firm here that we we like his game. Uh, you know, listen, he probably goes on date three, but uh, but I'm telling you, like you said, I think a team's going to find him and and be really intrigued and, and potentially find the diamond in the rough on date three. A guy, you know, we've seen guys Darius Leadon, other guys have really materialized as the, as date three picks to become integral parts of an offense. I think that's Fitzpatrick is going to play in this league for a long time, and he's going to be that big slot or outside Z possession style receiver. I love the body control, the ability to just catch well, it that's, away. That's his biggest thing. Hands. Yeah, that's his biggest thing, and I think that's uh, not to cut you off, but I do think that's his biggest thing. He couples that route running with that body control, and it's it's really uncanny his sensitivity to the sideline relative to the defender, relative to oncoming traffic and opponents. 
It really is. I'm sorry, but I just that is a that was just a, a piece of his game that I think is one of the highlights is that body control. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and go looking at his numbers, I think he I think that was his redshirt freshman year. He had 45 catches, 699 yards, and nine touchdowns. I think that was the year with Lamar. I feel like we've been talking about this guy so much, and then it's been three years now post-Lamar because Lamar's played in the NFL for three years. So he was a redshirt freshman in in 2017 when he played with Lamar Jackson. I just looked that up. So that was his redshirt freshman season. And then we were hyping him from his redshirt sophomore year. We thought he was drafted. We thought he was good enough to get drafted from his redshirt sophomore year. And now it's been three years at Louisville, 2018, 2019, 2020, where he has not had Lamar, right? Because Lamar, I think, just finished his third season in the NFL. So it's been, it's been, so he was a redshirt freshman when he had his best film. It's not rare. It's rare. So unless you really dig deep, then a lot of people might not know how great he was that year. Nine touchdowns, 699 yards, four, uh, 45 receptions. So r- go back and watch the film on Des Fitzpatrick with Lamar if you haven't seen it. But this wide receiver at the Senior Bowl is maybe as good as we, uh, as I remember for quite some time. Uh, other guys that I thought stood out this week, Demetric Felton, the wide receiver slash running back at a UCLA. Uh, since summer, I've been saying he reminds me of Naheem Hines. And it's interesting because he really mostly worked out as a wide receiver down there. So he's going the reverse route of Antonio Gibson, who was there last year, who worked out as a running back. I think Felton's going to be an offensive weapon. Every team in the league is looking for guys like this. And he showed it in the in the game, and he showed it in practices. His his route running ability as a guy who played mostly running back and coming out of the backfield and, and catching passes, he lined up a little bit in the slot. I was impressed with his route running during practices. He had good separation quickness. I thought he showed good nuance in his routes. I mean, it's still something that's going to develop. I think he's going to be a really intriguing offensive weapon at the next level. I liked him a lot. I think he could surprise and maybe even go somewhere on on round three, uh, if not be a high priority for teams in, in the start of day three. Amari Rogers out of Clemson. Listen, Clemson's always this turnstile of, of top-level round one wide receivers. And that's not Amari Rogers, but he's got a shot to be a round three, round four guy. His play strength, his physicality and toughness as, a, as an inside slot player – you know, and then he's he's got the ability to win vertically, but also win underneath in the short to intermediate, used on jet sweeps and the rounds. I think Amari Rogers really helped himself. Uh the probably the highest rated wide receiver there, not named Devonta Smith, who didn't participate. Uh is is probably Kadarius Tony, who the buzz now is reached round one levels, you know, top twenty, top fifteen, you know, he he sounds like he's ticketed for the top forty or fifty picks for sure with round one uh you know there. And listen, it's a copycat league. People look at him and 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 they envision you know, Tyree Kill, Tyler Lockett, you know, lofty expectations, but that that electric playmaker who you saw him in practice running routes and at times the separation that he had some drop issues in practice. So I'm not going to sit here and, and pretend that that didn't happen, but his separation that he was creating. Now, again, it's one-on-ones in the NFL. Defenses are going to play guys differently. You know, man, I talk about that all the time. You know, what we see in these one-on-ones isn't what you exactly, how it's going to be when you get to the NFL. But in the one-on-one sense, there weren't, there weren't any defensive backs there who could stay with him or even close to him. The amount of him getting in and out of breaks, 
his big playability. I think Darius Tony is is on the rise as a guy who is going to be look around the league. They people want playmakers. People want electric guys in space. Kadarius Tony is that type of player. Uh, I think his stock just is going to continue to rise in the pre-draft months. Matt, any thoughts there on uh, Kadarius Tony, Demetrik Felton, Amari Rogers? Yeah, I like Demetrik Felton a lot. I, I thought he looked really good. Um, you know, in, in terms of what he was doing as a wide receiver, even though we know his history and his background more in the backfield, he looked great. He did. He did look really nice in terms of creating separation. Um, I, I really liked Amari Rogers. That was the guy, the guy who stood out for me, even more than Kadarius Tony. Maybe it's because I knew Kadarius Tony was going to be as advertised, so to speak. Um, but I thought I thought Amari Rogers really looked nice in the wide receiver drills. Again, considering the context, considering what it was, knowing it's not a full game, knowing it's not completely representative, I still liked a couple things about Amari Rogers in those drills that really kind of stood out to me. The biggest thing, Paul, about all those wide receivers drills, the thing that I was looking at the most was I was looking at how they handled collisions. You know, I wanted to see how the guys handled collisions and what they did in terms of mitigating those collisions or redirecting the different types of attacks that the cornerbacks were trying to bring to them. I wanted to see how the players handled collisions. Amari Rogers, Des Fitzpatrick, Tylen Wallace, Cornell Powell. Those were the guys that stood out to me as being the best at handling collisions. Because they never really allowed guys to get a full hand on them. And then when they did, they were able to separate very quickly. Kadarius Tony did a great job as well. Um, guys, even when they were literally, they were just destroying him. Um, he was, you know, in, in, in terms of getting like holding penalties, um, they, you know, they were just destroying him. Even Kadarius Tony was great in this way. But Amari Rogers stood out tremendously. Guys could really and rarely get their hands on him. And when they did get their hands on him, he was able to redirect or he was able to break away very, very easily and very fluidly. So Amari Rogers really impressed me significantly. You know who who he reminded me of? And again, totally different style players, but just in what you were talking about, his ability to absorb the contact, you know, in in that regard only, not stylistically player wise, but that reminded me a lot of Jarvis Landry because that's one of the best things Jarvis Landry does, you know. Yeah. And 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 that I thought was impressive by Rogers. You know, Rogers has more athleticism, more juice. I get all that. You know, Landry was probably more of a tech, technician and route runner. But I, but I you brought that up and and I it, it, I made note of it and noticed it as well. His ability to absorb that and and handle collision. Because guys weren't able to do it, Paul. The one thing that stood out for me from all those little individual drills is there were guys who can handle it and guys who couldn't. There were guys who were still searching for, you know, kind of digging in their toolbox, trying to find a way to handle those situations. And then there were guys who were able to adapt immediately. And the guys that I just named, like I said, Amari Rogers, Tylen Wallace, Desmond, Des Fitzpatrick, even Dwayne Eskridge, as well as Kadarius Tony, those guys were very, very, very easily able to separate on collisions they rarely if at all allowed guys to get hands on them and if they did get hands on them they were able to parry or redirect quickly and separate i I gotta tell you something i i thought that was a very telltale um 
item to look for. So if, if you're listening to this and you're saying is, what are they talking about? Or, or I want to take a look at it. Go back to the tape, go back and take a look. There's, you know, there's one-on-one wide receiver, one-on-one films all over the place right now. Go and look for them and take a look just at how each player handles collisions and look at the guys that get bottlenecked and are unable to find a solution. And then look at those guys that are able to, with rapidity of successive movement and fluidity of movement, they're able to find a solution quickly, correctly, accurately, resourcefully. They're able to do it. And I just think that Amari Rogers, that's a testament to his game. Yeah. And listen, I mean, we've, we've talked about a handful of guys, but there were so many other guys that impressed. I know you mentioned his name before, but Shai Smith, he was a guy that I hadn't had a lot of exposure to. And I'm looking forward to really digging in him and he'll be a guy who I'll be adding to the, the, the notebook. I've added a lot of guys, guys. A lot of guys have been added to the notebook over the last week or two. So if you're someone who purchased it a while ago, please check it out a lot. I think we're closing in on about a hundred guys that are in the scouting notebook now. And soon I'll divvy it up and break it into the guys that declared and the guys who didn't. Uh, but Shai Smith, is on the short list of more guys I want to add. He reminded me a lot of Emmanuel Sanders style player. Like I think he's a guy who can create a lot of separation, good route runner, good quickness. Uh, you know, a guy that I think is going to be a guy who's probably a date for repick, but really could add a lot of value to an NFL team. Uh, Josh Palmer, a guy who really, you know, uh, dealt with a lot of quarterback issues and offensive issues to say the least at Tennessee. Uh, you know, that's a big one. I thought he had a really good week. I think he's going to go a lot higher than, you know, he was not a guy who was on my radar. So he's another guy I want to get my own eyes on to make a true determination and not just go by, you know, uh, the senior bowl. But, you know, his Tennessee tape might not make him stand out because that offense was just so bad. But he had a really good week down there. Daniel Jeremiah was praising him a lot as a guy who could be like around four, round five guy. So when DJ's saying that, that piques my interest. Uh, Marquez Stevenson, the burner out of Houston you know think about last year uh, the kid out of Tulane who went to the Bears you know a guy a team's gonna look at Marquez Stevenson and and think of you know the value that he can bring that tactical value can get deep get vertical uh you know so I think he's gonna be a guy that that teams really like because we know teams are looking for speed you know we know teams want that speed uh, to add to, you know, their offense. Uh, and Darnell Mooney, I was just drawing a blank on the name. Darnell Mooney was the, was the guy who last year, I think the Bears took in the fifth round. I could see a guy like Marcus Stevenson going higher than we think because he offers that big play speed down the field. So he showed that this week. Uh, Dwayne Eskridge, Matt mentioned before, you know, there's talking that he's moved his way into the second round mix. Again, he's, he's the first guy that's on the list to be added to the scouting notebook of, of new guys. Like I said, I've added probably eight or nine or 10 guys over the last couple of weeks and filled in their profiles. But Eskridge is a guy who I want to have my own full deep dive on, but he, he was another guy that at the time seemed uncoverable down there in the one-on-ones and in practice. Uh, so he stood out and was a big winner. Frank Darby out of Arizona state is a guy that I thought really showed good separation and, and big playability. Uh, you know, so he's a guy that didn't play much uh, this year, but he's a guy who I want to go back and dig in a little bit deeper because, you know, he was behind uh, Nikhil Harry. He was behind Brandon Ayuk. And now I kind of want to see, you know, what Darby was 
when those guys were there and what type of player, you know, he was on a week in and week out basis and not just from practice setting. But I think he's a guy who could surprise and be in that round four, round five mix. Nico Collins and Sage Surratt, I think they were who I think they are. Nico Collins can pick up speed vertically once he hits his stride, but he's going to struggle to create separation in the short to intermediate. He's going to struggle to get off press, I think. He's great at the catch point. He's got good adjustment to the ball, go up and get it, good red zone threat, but he's going to struggle to create separation. I think that's the thing with Nico Collins. And Sage Sherratt, the same thing. He's, he's a bully ball. He, he's going to win at the catch point. Uh, he's physical. He's tough. Uh, but I have some concerns about separation quickness. Once upon a time, Sage Surratt looked like a round two lock. I think now it's more like a probably round four, and we'll see if he can elevate his stock between them. I think Nico Collins and, and Surratt are guys who are going to be more like round four guys, and at one point they were getting round two buzz. I'm not sure they're going to be round two guys anymore. I think they, they checked off who they were. They win at the catch point. That's their calling card. Uh, there is some athletic limitation that supposedly Nico Collins is going to test really well. And that could be because he's a long strider. He picks up speed. Uh, but on the field, I feel like at times he struggles to create separation. Matt mentioned Tyler Wallace before. He's just solid as they come. His ability to Tyler win. Tyler Wallace is so freaking good. He's so underrated. He's, he's so, so underrated. underrated. He, he just, he just, the, I don't think there was one exposure where I was like, wow, that was a bad route. There was not, there wasn't one route. He's not getting talked about enough because there's nothing like super flashy about his game. But like he, for a guy his size, his ability to win at the catch point, it's not on a level of Steve Smith, Carolina. No. But it's not, but it's not like, it's not like laughable to say he he reminds you at the sometimes for his size and frame of of what Steve Smith was able to do. I mean, Steve Smith was the one of the best ever at his size and frame to win at the catch point. But Tylen Wallace is pretty is pretty good for a guy. He's his unbelievable. Size and his dude. He just and you know what's you know what's so nice about him is like you watch him in the one on one drills, and you know what's really interesting about him if you watch the cadence, the way he runs his routes, it's not even in the tempo. The tempo and the variation of tempo is what he uses to kind of to kind of get a good feel for where the actual defender is. Like he'll he'll actually he'll actually use his free arm almost like uh, it's almost like a scene from the movie Unbreakable by M Night Shyamalan. Right? It's that moment where the guy is standing in the subway with his fingers out and he's reading out you know all the people's minds and what they're doing. Well, it's kind of like that for Tylen Wallace. He's standing there and throughout the route. He's keeping just enough contact with his hand to the defender so he knows exactly where the defender is while the ball's in the air. So he knows just how much to slow down in order to then accelerate and speed back up and separate in order to create the cushion to make the catch. He is so attuned to the various kind of interpersonal distances and spaces between him and the defender he doesn't get collisioned. In fact, he uses the collision. He uses the collision. He's exploiting it. He understands the information within a collision that tells him where the defender is relative to himself, and he exploits it. He uses it to create separation. He uses it to just gently push off or accelerate at the very last second in order to win at the highest point or make that catch in tight coverage. He's that good. He's just that good. And and to your point, Paul, listen, he is not Steve Smith, okay? But I think he could start. 
I think he could start yes. in this league. And he, you know what it is? He's going to go late round two or round three, and he's going to be plug and play. He's going to be play. plug and he's going to be plug and play. He's going to be plug and play, and he he's not going to be the flashiest guy, but he's going to be he's going to be rock solid, rock solid. He's going to be a number two wide receiver for a long time in the NFL, a long time. And yes. And, and, and listen, and that has a lot, a lot of value. Uh, yeah. one other, one other guy who I'm excited to, to watch some of his, his college tape is small school South Dakota state wide receiver, Kay Johnson. I liked a little bit what I saw from him in some of his drills. Uh, so he's a guy who I want to get some eyes on, uh, about on him before I make a full determination. But a lot of these guys, uh, are going to be added to the scouting notebook. You know, like I said, it's already got close to a hundred names in it. A couple more of these wide receivers, Eskridge for sure, Shy Smith for sure, are going to be added, and potentially a couple other guys as well. Uh, let's turn to the tight ends and stick on the receiving theme. I, there wasn't a lot to talk about the tight end group, uh, but a couple things that that stood out. Uh, Kyle Granson out of SMU, the move tight end. I like his game. He's not going to be a, a top 100 pick, but he's going to be taken somewhere on day three. And if a team knows how to utilize him as an H back, as a move tight end, I, I'm kind of intrigued by him. He's, he's going to, I don't, if he gets the opportunity to test out, he's going to test out really good for a tight end because he doesn't really move like a tight end. He moves like a wide receiver. Uh, so I'm intrigued by Kyle Granson for the role that he brings. He's not going to be a traditional tight end. He's not going to line up in line. He's strictly a move tight end. Uh, Hunter Long, you know, John Lab last week, you know, I, I'm, I, listen, we, we, we say all the time and we're brutally honest with you, you know, we're two man operation in terms of watching the film here, three man in terms of putting the whole product together here. But Hunter Long was not a guy that I had on my radar. And he was not a guy I had watched. I had heard about him. I knew he was draftable. I knew he was a guy. I thought he was going to be more of a date three type guy. And he still might be, but I hadn't had a chance to watch him. And John was talking about him last week. And then as the week went on, the reports, what I saw of him, he's a guy who has moved himself. I think Daniel Jeremiah said he's, he's his third tight end in the class, which means he has him ahead of Brevin Jordan because he, you know, if you look at DJ's top 50, you know, you see Kyle Pitts high, you see Pat Fryer move pretty high. And then there was no other tight end, but on one of the coverages, he talked about Hunter Long being his third tight end. So that means he likes some over guys like Brevin Jordan and some other guys that are in the mix. And what I serve him this week is he reminded me very much of a Kyle Rudolph. He's a traditional, tight end who can be a functional pass catcher, good blocker. He's going to have a long career and probably have an opportunity to start or definitely play a ton in two tight end sets. Uh, he's going to be a guy that impressed me. And I hadn't known much or, or, or did much research on him prior to the senior bowl. And John was talking about him last week. I've had a chance to watch some film of him. And obviously what I saw at the senior bowl, he's a guy who uh, the template is already up in the scouting notebook. He's going to be added because he's a guy who could be the third tight end taken off the board. I think he probably will end up being the fourth. I, I, I would be surprised if Brevin Jordan doesn't get taken ahead of him. Uh, but, uh, you know, so Hunter Long intrigues me. And then Kenny Ebo from Ole Miss, he's a guy who he only like 240 pounds, more of a pass catcher. But listen, he's a guy who can stretch the field. He's a guy who could get that attack the seam and be, you know, be a weapon in the passing game. And when he's lined up with, you know, linebackers, I think he creates a mismatches. So Long and Ebo are two guys uh, 
they're set up. They're going to be added to the scouting notebook. I just want to watch a little bit more film on them before I add them in there. I thought they were the top two guys down there in terms of what I saw there. And then Kyle Granson still intrigues me. John Bates was a late addition from Boise State. He had some moments, but I think athleticism is, is lacking. I think he's more of a late day three guy. The other guys didn't, you know, Noah Gray, Quinton Morris. I, I was a little bit intrigued by Trey McKitty out of Georgia. He could be a guy that was not used much in college, but could be a better pro. Uh, so I thought it was really long. Ebo, McKitty, and Granson were the four guys that intrigued me the most down there. Matt, any any thoughts about any of these tight ends? And if not, while we're on the topic of tight end, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up the fact that one of your favorite freshman prospects last year, who was outstanding this year, Ari Gilbert, transferring to Florida. So yeah, they're gonna good. go. They're gonna go from Kyle Pitts. Yeah. to the guy who's probably going to be the next closest thing we have to Kyle Pitts in college football in terms of the tight end position. Well, I mean, at least you could say they know how to use him there, right? They I mean, are, they, 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 and that's probably what he was thinking. Yeah, to be honest. yeah. I mean, listen, listen. first of all, I mean, I know this is going to sound blasphemous considering how amazing Kyle Pitts was, but what if I think, what if I told you that Eric Gilbert is probably better? So, I mean, I'm just going to throw that out there. I mean, he is that good. Um, now he'll never, he won't be the same type of player as Kyle Pitts. So, I mean, for all you Florida Gator fans out there, he's a different animal altogether, right? I mean, he is, he is just going to bring it on both ends of the ball. He's going to be a a guy who's going to help in the running game. He's a guy who's going to be able to be a mismatch as a receiver. He's a real talent that I think is going to just, it's just going to keep Gator nation, just excited um i i'm i'm stoked he he should be he's one of my top five Devi picks this year if you have the the capital i've been preaching him all year whenever i've had the chance if you have the draft capital go get him um go get him go get him i i, I actually made a trade to get high enough in my Devi draft to take him and i'm taking him probably if it's between him and tank Bigs, and tank bigsby i'm taking him so, I mean, I know that's crazy. I know that's crazy. But, Paul, I mean, like we said, we've said this on the show before when we were able to, to kind of talk. We said, tell me that tight end isn't the mismatch that you're going to need now in fantasy football. Tell me tell me that the best teams that are winning championships don't have the tight ends to do it because I, I would contest in fantasy football for at least that the tight end position is is a game changer considering how – almost um, barren it's been over the last several years in terms of inconsistency, right? So, I mean, I think Arik Gilbert is a guy that you go ahead and invest in. I don't, I'm not saying Tank Bigsby isn't awesome. He is. Bijan Robinson is awesome. They're amazing talents. But what if I could, what if I told you, you could be getting, you know, the next, you know, Travis Kelsey or I mean, would you say no? Would you say no to that? Well, here's the thing, and I think that I think you, the position. I might have, I might have also said something that I shouldn't have said. Travis Kelsey. I mean, you're also saying Patrick Mahomes with Travis Kelsey is probably <laughs> why you have Travis Kelsey where he is. Yeah, but I mean, he he was he was a great player even already before Mahomes yeah. really took him, you know, to even higher levels. But here's the thing, and you're right. Positional value matters. As good as Tank Bigsby is, and as good as B. John Robinson is, there are great running backs all the time, 
right? I mean, I mean, we've had Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey, you know, Dalvin Cook, Joe Mixon, you know, the the Josh Jacobs, like yeah, the Kamara, John, everybody, Jonathan, Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Taylor, Alvin Kamara, like J.K. Dobbins, I think is going to be special. DeAndre Swift is going to be special, right? Those running backs. Every year, basically, we have some that are that are going to be yeah, special yeah. players. This yep. year, Najee Harris, Travis Ethian, right? You know, so B. John Robinson, Tank Bigsby, they're not going to be any more special than those guys. They're going to be special p- prospects for sure. But every year we get guys like that, almost. Almost every year we get a handful of running backs that are really highly regarded. We don't get that at the tight end position, right? Last year's class, we knew wasn't it. I mean, and there, I, I sat here and did the rookie report every single week, and I barely talked about the tight end position. And, you know, so the tight end position, we don't have those guys every year. So I do think, I do think, you know, if if he becomes that special of a player, then he's worth more than those other guys. Now, listen, we know tight ends sometimes take longer. It's going to be really interesting to see how quickly Kyle Pitts you know, produces because historically tight ends take time. Evan Ingram's the only one really since we've been doing Saturday to Sunday that really hit the ground running and he hasn't really lived up to that rookie year promise. And, you know, we get frustrated here as Giants fans and part of it's the usage and the scheme and part of it's his own, you know, wrongdoing in terms of drops and, and some other issues. But he, if Gilbert could be that special of a player, I think it's going to be really intriguing. So I wanted to bring him up there because I knew there well, wasn't a lot to talk about, you know, with senior bowl type. No, no, no. I, I, and I, just to go back to long though, for, for example, I think long has that Mason Rudolph kind of Travis Kelsey feel to him. He's very good at the catch point. And I think that you got a chance to see, you know, potentially where that's going to go. And I think he's really, really nice, a nice player to take a look at. I, I still don't buy him over Brevin Jordan. I think Brevin Jordan is very good in the open field and after the catch. And I think that in the in the in the NFL, I'm sorry. I I, I mean, and listen, I love Daniel Jeremiah and I love that, but I would I would push back and say I think Brevin Jordan is a guy that I would take over long. Not I think, because yeah, I agree with you. I think by the time the draft, Jordan is not a zero in the run game either guys. I mean, I, I, I'm not, I, he's not, he's, he's not, he's are craving mismatched tight ends. Brevin Jordan could be a mismatched tight end. The next level. He wasn't playing with the greatest quarterbacks there in Miami either. They have their, they've, they've had some of their own issues in terms of that. And listen, he's got some more development to do. And we always, yeah, get, right now he reminds me more raw. Right now, he's he reminds me on the same trajectory as like an Irv Smith Jr. Yeah, that's how I kind of look at at Brevin Jordan. And right now, Irv Smith Jr. Let me tell you right now, if he's on a different team, Irv Smith Jr. is dangerously used. Right now, he's had to earn his way to being used, but he's a good player, and I think Brevin Jordan can easily be that. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's interesting. And I think you you meant Kyle Rudolph. You said Mason Rudolph a few minutes a few minutes ago, but. You know, if oh, Hunter if Hunter Long is if, if Hunter Long is Kyle Rudolph and we think that Brevin Jordan, you know, is a Irv Smith style player, I, I think the NF as good as of a career as Kyle Rudolph's had, I think today's NFL is gonna value a guy like Brevin Jordan way more than Hunter Long. But we'll see. Maybe a team already has a tight end that they like and they're looking for that 
other guy who can open up the offense and do more two tight end sets and it needs to be a guy who plays in line. You know, listen, all it takes is one team. But I think in a vacuum, when you're talking about natural talent, I think Brevin Jordan should be ahead of a guy like Hunter Long still. So let's round this out with a little rapid fire at the running back position because the running back position is the hardest thing to really gauge from the practice film. And then, you know, you're you're left with the the, the game itself and, you know, I didn't, th- I didn't think there was a lot that stood out at the running back position. First, I'll say the fact that Najee Harris went down there and competed is mind boggling to me in terms of his competitiveness and his, you know, his willingness to, to do that. Like that, that is not something you're going to see maybe ever again in our lifetime in terms, of a, in terms of a first round. Yep. St- caliber running back prospect going to the senior bowl and not like just going there to you sign know, autographs and, yeah, and meet and you know meet, meet with people. the teams and and get checked out medically or whatever like that to actually participate it was remarkable it speaks volumes of this kid's uh character and work ethic and stuff like that uh so so that was Najee. I listen, he is who he is. He's going top forty. Michael Carter, who I thought was the besides Najee Harris, was the other top level running back prospect down there. I think he showed who he is. I think he's a guy. He's part Devin Singletary, part Clyde Edward Tolaire. Uh, you know, I, I was I was having a conversation on Twitter during the game. I think there is I think people look at him and think he's a better, explosive, more explosive athlete than he is. I think his play speed is really good, and that's fine. That's all it needs to be. But if there was a combine this year, I think people might have been a little bit surprised that maybe where his 40 time came. Not that it in any way hinders my thoughts on him. He's my fourth running back. I like him. I think he should be a day two pick. So me sitting here saying I don't think he's an explosive athlete in terms of his long speed is not is not in any way, shape, or form hindering what my thoughts on this player are because I love his vision. To me, it reminds me of how good Devin Singletary's vision is, and I think Devin Singletary's vision and cutting ability made him look so much faster then that's why people were so surprised when Devin Singletary went to the combine and ran a slow 40 because all we saw of him was make big play after big play in college. I think that's Michael Carter too. His footwork, his cutting ability, his change of direction, his agility, his elusiveness, it makes him look like he's this really explosive long speed athlete. I don't think it's I don't think that's his game, but I don't care. Like his, his ability to make people miss in short spaces, his ability to make people miss in the open field, his pass catching ability makes him the modern day prototype NFL running back. It's a two running back league now. Very few teams are are going to be what the Cowboys were for a couple of years with Ezekiel Elliott, what the Giants wanted to be with Saquon Barkley. It's rare. It's rare. So Michael Carter is going to go somewhere and be part of a dual backfield. And I think he's going to be a very productive player. So besides Carter, Larry Roundtree, I thought was pretty solid out of Missouri. He's a guy, tough, physical, interior runner, good play strength. Uh, he looked okay this week. Uh, and that's really about it in terms of things that I saw this week. So Matt, anything else from the running back position or anything you kind of want to elaborate on, on Michael Carter or anybody else? No, I think Michael Carter is what he is. I think he's a great running back. Like you said, he's a date. He's a, he's a round two type of guy. I think that, you know, listen, between him and, and between him and Cavante Williams, I mean, I'm, I'm probably a little bit more Cavante Williams than I am. Uh, Michael Carter, but that's not to denigrate what Michael Carter is. You know, Michael Carter has, like you said, he's very good in tight spaces. I think that, you know, to your point, 
I think it's his ability like Devin Singletary. And I think this goes back to why Devin Singletary was so good. Singletary was good because of his ability to mitigate collisions. He was able to take the collision just enough so it didn't destroy his ability or impede his ability to the extent of stopping him from getting some positive yardage. He was always able to find a way to move forward. And Carter is very much like that player for me. I think he's very nuanced. I think he's good in the open field. I think he has great hands. I, I really, I am very excited about Michael Carter. I, 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 I think these top guys, these top running backs, there's a lot to be excited about. And to our point earlier, I mean, this is what, football has become in America. It's an offensively driven, you know, type of entertainment, right? And and we want to see the athletes go out there and we want to see guys throw and run and catch. And you know what? We're producing them by the dozen. <laughs> like, you know, you know, God bless our species because we're producing amazing athletes. And you know what? I think that Michael Carter is absolutely one of them. And I think he's going to be a great, great pick in the NFL and at the next level. Great problem solver. I'm excited for him. Yeah, absolutely. So, and again, I think, I think that's, again, it comes down to the fact that it doesn't really matter. If Michael Carter runs a 4-4-8 or a 4-5-8, it's not going to matter in terms of how good he is at the NFL level. I just don't think it will. Like, you know, it, in terms of in terms of what he's going to do i don't think it matters like it just because he's going to win with his vision his cutback ability his his quickness his his lateral you know his movement skills that's how he's going to win at the next level and his pass catching ability let's Listen, be honest. This, this isn't like magic the gathering your speed rating is better than my defensive rating so hence you win <laughs> it's not like this is not like a you know this is not played in madden this is not that there's you know, we know that, right? This is this is where we live. We know this is a problem-solving exercise. We know athletics is a problem-solving exercise that we do through movement. We know this, you know, and I think that it's – and we're transitioning there. I think we're there in understanding that. And, Paul, like we were talking about this this week, and I'd like to leave everybody with this note if we can. You and I were talking about this earlier this week about the idea that, you know, with no combine – and no metrics that are really reliable to speak of, this is going to be a very film-driven draft. And it's going to be a very film-driven draft and very very much the scouts and the boots on the ground that they were able to have, you know, obviously with COVID and, and, the, and the state of affairs that that has brought about in, in American sports. Certainly, I'm sure the number of boots on the ground, so to speak, by NFL franchises were minimized significantly. So what we're going to be going on is a lot of film, a lot of interviews. This is going to be a chance to see, you know, if we rely on a problem solver paradigm, if we rely on the game as being the the foundation for our analysis, if we just rely on that and maybe not remove and make obsolete the statistics or the metrics like, you know, all the things at the combine. But if we if we rely on the game itself being the very entity by which we make the prognostication or the prognoses of these players, then we have a really unique opportunity this draft season. So if you haven't cracked open the vault and started watching players, do it. Have fun with it. This is the first year where you really won't have a chance or there won't really be any pushback in terms of, well, his short shuttle wasn't right or his 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 vertical wasn't large enough or his wingspan wasn't there. 
I, I I'm intrigued, Paul, to see you know a player problem solver paradigm, one that's rooted in game film, maybe have the opportunity to really play a central, if not entirely major role in the choices that are made on draft day. I, I think this is a very unique state of affairs this draft season. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be really intriguing, you know, so, and, and what's even more crazy is we didn't even have a full year, you know, right. You know, besides a couple conferences that got a lot of games in, I mean, Ohio state played what, like five games, like, you know, like some of the pac 12 teams played like four games. Like, so it's going to be really interesting. You know, listen, we said, we thought last year, the NFL rookies were going to be behind the eight ball because of lack of OTAs, mini camps, you know what? <laughs> the rookies performed outstanding this year. So, you know, these these guys are are more ready than ever to make an impact at the NFL level. The the schemes and the coaching that they've been taught now from such an early age, I think has been more similar throughout their upbringing that, you know, and NFL teams, I, I would like to think are just getting smarter and putting people in positions to be successful, to match their skill set and their traits. And I think that's why we're seeing so many young players have so much immediate success uh, at the NFL level. And it, it's great to see. So there it is, guys. Senior Bowl recap in the books. Hopefully you enjoyed that. Again, if you like the content that we are putting out here uh, on the podcast or on Twitter, please get over to the website, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to the podcast. And please consider checking out the premium notebooks. For $9.99, you get access to all three notebooks. It is the best way to support the show. Help us continue to bring what we are doing and have been doing for the last five years. If you've purchased it in the past, we hope you consider purchasing it again. If you've never given it a chance, uh, we, we would really love it if you're willing to, to check it out. If you have any questions about it, do not hesitate to reach out to me or Matt or the SS football handle. Uh, you can, there's an email that you could email on the website as well, but you get the scouting notebook. I've been referencing it throughout the show. It's going to have close to a hundred full detailed profiles of prospects from, from, uh, that were draft eligible this year. Uh, you get the rankings notebook, which has all our different types of rankings, our draft eligible rankings, our Devi rankings, our dynasty rookie rankings, our new dynasty rookie rankings after the draft, and soon our tiered rankings, because now it's usually the, sh- the, the next couple episodes we start getting ready to go into the tier buster episodes with you and start, you know, really finalizing our tiers for this draft class. Uh, you get all that in the rankings notebook, and then you get the draft projections notebook in April, which has tabs for every single position, offense and defense, uh, best positions, a little synopsis on who they are, how they win, a concern or two, uh, and l- based on everything I am hearing, reading, and listening, how I project it to go on draft night, based on everything I have seen and read. Uh, It's a great guide. We also have a tab that tries to project the 32 players taken in round one, the top 100 or so players taken in the first three rounds, and then my guess at every single pick uh, in the entire draft. So please check it out. Ask questions if you have any. Um, we hope you consider purchasing it. Matt, any final parting thoughts here uh, to round it out? No, I just want to say thank you for everybody out there that continue to support us because, you know, we never get a chance to say thank you enough. We know that um, out there in, in social media supporting Paul and I, it's just it's just an incredible feeling. You know, I mean, we, we put our hearts, we put 
we put our you know our souls into it we we really do it's something that is a labor of love we always say that um but just everybody's support uh throughout this year has been really phenomenal a personal thank you thank you so much for that um I, and i just want to say that you know in terms of what paul's been able to do this year and in terms of the products that he's helping to put out and then also the draft projections notebook a big thank you to him as well as dave nakano for everything that they continue to do i'm just i'm just so excited and so privileged to to be able to do this with everybody out there and be able to share the air with you guys and and really for all the supporters out there it really is a player paul so i just i just had to stop and just say thanks you know well just thank you th- listen that's what we do here we pick up the slack we pick up each other uh you know and it's it's something that you know we knew there was going to be times where it was gonna where it was gonna be like that, and you know that's that's what makes the team here at S to S. And really, we just love uh, what we've built here over the years, the relationships in particular that we've built over the years uh, with, with fans, with other people in the industry. Uh, it really is, is what makes uh, it worth it in in the long run. So, on that note, on behalf of our sound tech engineer David Nakano and Matt, and myself. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.